The Giant. Thinkers. Giant Thinkers Podcast. Hey guys, welcome to the show. I'm Ram Castillo, and in this podcast, I'm bringing to you top experts from various industries worldwide to learn from their success and to help us become better designers, creatives, and giant thinkers. Hello, Giants. Ram here. This is episode number 78. I have been on a little hiatus, took a personal break, and intentionally slowed down to reflect and reassess on what's most important to me at this time, weighing up priorities, exploring where I wanted to make the most impact. These are thoughts that once you unpack can quickly turn into a 1,000-person party in your head. If you've ever asked yourself the question, where might my time and energy make the most impact and difference in the world, it can be incredibly confronting. However, when you create more space, when you truly switch off and go inwards, when you dance and sit with the discomfort, meaningful dialogue does emerge. Pair that with insights, support, and guidance from trusted peers, mentors, and loved ones, greater clarity is within reach. So speaking of fear, overcoming the uncomfortable, being brave and courageous, uh, today's guest is known for her presence in artistic cycling. As of releasing this episode, she's currently 25 going on 26 years old. She was a competitive athlete in artistic cycling between the years 2000 and 2020. That's right, she started when she was about six years old. And in 2010, by the age of 16 onwards, was a member of the German national team. Her greatest achievements in the sport has been the silver medal in three different occasions at the UCI Indoor Cycling World Championships in 2016, 2017, and 2019, as well as winning the European Championship twice one in 2012 and the other in 2018. In February this year, 2020, she retired from the competition side of the sport to focus on three areas, performing in shows, studying her master's of science in clinical nutrition at the University of Hohenheim in Germany, hopefully I've pronounced that right, and exposing artistic cycling through her Instagram platform, where she currently has over 370,000 followers. You've got to take a look at her content yourself. It's absolutely jaw-dropping. So some of the topics we spoke about include how she's been able to sustain great interest in such a specific craft for so long her relationship with fear and her response to fear, how her practice, training and risk mitigation looks like, the technical, mental, physical and creative aspects of the sport and plenty more. So if you're someone that's curious about designing a life towards peak performance and performing, then this episode is right up your alley. Now, a little side note, something was up with my side of the mic Uh, Not a great deal, but definitely noticeable that I found out after the recording, which caused a little bit of subtle static in moments. I apologize deeply in advance for that, as it's the first time 
I've encountered it and not the quality anyone should be listening to. I'm pretty devastated by this. That said, I learned something new from the experience. In this case, the application software I was recording on needed to be updated. So a small hot tip there for other podcasters to not make the same mistake I did. Okay, let's do this. I present to you the all-smiling, all-cycling, world-class athlete, Viola Brand. Viola Brand, welcome to the Giant Thinkers podcast. I am so excited to have you on the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great, yeah. Awesome. How are you doing? I was great today and it's 8pm as we're recording this here in oh. Sydney um, and, and I've been looking forward to this all day. So now this is actually happening. I'm uh, pinching myself a little bit because I saw you and stumbled on you via the Ellen show, which was so recent. Did you do that last week? Yeah, like um, I did it last week. Um, the show was on air on Wednesday, but I taped it on Tuesday. So yeah, it's one week ago and it's still unbelievable that I was in this show. Uh, I'm sure it would have been an incredible experience. Um, for the listeners, we're recording this at the beginning of March. So um, this is all pretty fresh, how I stumbled across you. I cannot believe how long it's taken me to stumble across you because you've been doing what you do. And I won't spoil it for everyone, but you've been doing what you do for almost, what, 20 years now. And also you've built a huge following on Instagram. So without further ado, let's, um, let's dive into the first question. My question for you is what is something that um, is slightly quirky or, or different about yourself um, that most people wouldn't know about you? Oh, well, that's a hard question. <laughs> <laughs> I think nobody ever asks me a question like this. So I think... Um, in general, what um, is about my person is that I'm really disciplined and um, yeah, that I, it was always the same, like with school, with studying, with university, but of course also compared with my sport, I learned from the really young age to be disciplined and to have a good time management and yeah, to do all the stuff I have to do, like really when I have to do and that I don't do it like, oh, I will do it tomorrow. <laughs> so yeah, this is something that that is about my personality. But um, I don't know if people would think about this if when they think about me. So um, yeah, I don't really know what I can answer to this. <laughs> well, question. actually, that's exactly why I asked it because um, in, order, in order to do what you do, you must be so disciplined. You must have such high work ethic and a respect for the, the, the output of training and nutrition and practice. Like, and, and I just think maybe I can ask something about Viola that most people wouldn't know. So maybe I'll, I'll turn the question to what do you do for fun or to relax and to let loose when you're not training so hard? Um, well, there's not that much time. Um, to do <laughs> you weren't, you weren't kidding. You, you're that disciplined. <laughs> yeah. Like, like I do three times at the same time. Like I do, um, of course my, my studying at university, I, I did the, um, competitive sport for 19 years and then I do social media. So 
these things take a lot of time. But yeah, when I have free time, then I really enjoy to do some um, things with my friends, go for some good food or yeah, just relax at home and watch something on the TV or something like that. Or I really love to go to the spa, um, take a bath and things like that. So that's what I do for relaxing. Perfect. So for those that um, don't know too much about your sport, I'll ask uh, on behalf of everyone, in your own words, where would you say that your expertise lies? I think that my expertise definitely lies in artistic cycling. So at the technique of how I I perform on the bike, how I can do the tricks. Um, well, I'm doing this for almost 20 years now. So that's like all my life. And um, yeah, that's why I know a lot about this sport. Even the sport is really unknown worldwide. But um, yeah, I'm trying to make it more popular through my Instagram. And um, yeah, I think that with this more people get to know about the sport. And then I can also, um, yeah, can can put my knowledge more into the world about the sport. Well, I think you're doing a great job of uh, bringing exposure to this sport because I'm telling you now, I've lived in, so I'm, I'm going on 34 years old. And I've never, I, I, I honestly cannot believe why I've never been exposed to what you do. And I didn't know that there was a, there was world championships around it. And that, um, when you were interviewed by Ellen, you started at six years old. And you, like you said, now you, you've been doing it for almost 20 years. So, um, that's a long time. That means this has been around for quite some time. So, um, uh, it sounds like the sport's growing and will continue to grow, but it's not the type of sport that someone can just pick up and, and do right away. Um, uh, so before we get into the, the fine details of it, uh, can you tell us a little about your childhood and how you grew up? Well, I grew up in a small village near the city of Stuttgart, but it's like 30 kilometers away from the, from the main, from downtown. And, um, yeah, I have three older brothers, and I had a really peaceful um, childhood. Like, we had a great garden, a really big and huge garden, and we, as child, we could play there and, um, yeah, have some fun and meet friends and go to, to school. And, yeah, I had a really cool and peaceful and familiar childhood. That's awesome. And you mentioned you've got three brothers, and... I found out that you also were influenced by them to start this um, artistic cycling. So did they all do artistic cycling or was it one in particular? At that moment, all of my brothers did artistic cycling wow. when I also started to do artistic cycling, but then really fast. Um, one of my brothers um, yeah, retired from the sport and then like, he just did it like for maybe one year. And then um, some years later, the other brother also quit with the sport. And then it was only me and my oldest brother that we still um, competed in the sport and did the sport for a long, very long time. And now my brother, he's nine years older than me and he's still doing the sport. So, yeah, he, he does it for, yeah, almost 30 years now. And that is a really long time. 
Incredible. And do they compete as well? Yes, my brother also um, competes as well as as I do. Yeah, but now um, in February I retired from the competition sport, but my brother is still into it. <laughs> Did you say you you've retired? Yes, I retired from the competition sport. I still, of course, do shows and um, performances like as I did at the Ellen Show. And I also want to grow the sport in general. But for me, in my part, I retired from competing at competition. Wow. Okay. So I think that's an important point. So <laughs> I don't want to glaze over this. Why did you retire from the sport? Yeah, well, I'm doing it for 19 years now. And at some point, I felt like I, I lost the, the joy of going into training and to do like the really hard and um, yeah, competitive training when it's all about um, making, like do not make mistakes at the competitions. And I wanted to have the sport more as a, as a fun sport and to more enjoy what I'm able to do on the bike. And with the competition sport, it was more like, um, yeah, about perfectionism and to do everything like perfect. And yeah, to have this, this strict thing like you always have in when you're a competitive athlete. And so at this time I wanted to be like, to, to be more able to um, decide what I want to have in life and not that everything is around the sport and like I have to I have to do my schedule about the sport, always the sport is the most important. And so now I can also focus on my university career and of course also on my um, show and performance career. And um, yeah, because it was also really, it's, it takes a lot of time to learn new tricks. And of course, I also do, I still train in the sport to get better for performances. But the training you have to do for competition is really more different than this. And um, yeah, it, the competitions always take a lot of time. And sometimes I also had, it was at the same day that I had a request for a performance and also had a like a competition and then I had to decide which, which one I want to do and of course I always decided to go for the competition but um, now I'm more free to to do performances and through this way can make the sport more popular because we, of course we have the competitions but the competition itself we don't have that many spectators and I think through performances or show I can reach more people to get to know about the sport and through this I also help the competition sport to grow and also maybe to be in the Olympic Games one day. <laughs> That's my goal. <laughs> Thank you first of all for sharing that because I think it's important uh, for the listeners a big part of the Giant Thinkers podcast is for people to really understand the, the thought process and the decision making uh, behind uh, uh, before a, a, a deploying or committing to a decision. Um, it's important to get the context and to understand that there's internal dialogue, there's external conditions, there's the end of the environment, there's what you feel is fulfilling and you've achieved that and what you want to do next, it evolves. So I think 
based on what you've said, that sounds like a, an amazing achievement. Um, good on you for doing that. I think I, I very much respect that um, you've, you've made the choice because a lot of people would look at it as, you know, oh, you know, I've, I've still, I still can, can, can do this for another 10, 20 years and just stick to the one thing. Whereas you've looked at how can I help more people, not just more about me and my progression, but how can I progress in a different way whilst yeah. bringing exposure to the sport? Who knows? You probably are going to be the go-to advisor or coach for up and coming people and athletes around the sport. I mean, there's so many ways around this. Um, plus, if correct me if I'm wrong, you, you, you've studied nutritional science at Stuttgart University, and now you're studying the Master of Science in Clinical Nutrition at University of Honenheim. Is that correct? That is correct, yeah. I mean, that. Th th now you pair that with what you're studying and the practice of your craft, and now you're just a force of, of uniqueness, right? Like how many people can say that, by the way, it's worth noting um, that you have won two uh, me silver medals in three. I won three. Three. <laughs> yes. My apologies. Three. Three silver medal medals in the world championships of artistic cycling. Phenomenal. Um, 2016, 2017. And when was the, the third one? It was 2019. So 2019. Just three months oh, ago. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Awesome. I mean, that, come on, that's, that's amazing. So, so, uh, well done on doing that. Um, okay. So let's talk about, um, I just want to quickly touch on something around this before we move on, uh, uh, to the next big, uh, sort of topic. But, but one thing I wanted to talk about is the ability that you've had to be in this sport for almost 20 years a lot of that is in competition as you said as well what would you advise someone who has stumbled across something that they love and no doubt you've had moments where you've said oh maybe i don't want to do this anymore especially at a young age i think goodness me six years old somewhere along the way i'm sure numerous times you would have said, oh, is, this, is this the right decision? Did, did you ever feel like that? Yeah, of course, especially when some of the tricks they take a, like a really long time. For example, to master the handstand on a bike, it took me seven years to learn. Oh my God. And of course, in these seven years, you're sometimes like, okay, is this really worth it? And all the hard working and will this really pay off? And um, so I had a lot of moments or sometimes um, in this handstand um, training, I also had the time when that I failed and that I fall down on the ground, like in the handstand. And this was a, I didn't hurt myself, but um, it was a, yeah, a mental thing after that so that I was afraid to do it again and to fail again and to fall down again. And so even just this this little accident which was really not harmful it took me one more year to get to the same level again so that i don't have this fear of falling down again and um so i had a lot of moments like this when i was thinking about is this really worth it but um yeah my advice to people who are at the same point is that um 
yeah, just be in patience and really think about um, what you want to achieve. And if this what you're doing right now, if this will get you to the goal you want to achieve. And if the answer to this question is yes, so that you need this trick or this whatever choice you are in right now, if this will get you closer to your goal that you want to achieve, then it's the right way to to go with it and keep going. And who taught you to think like that? Or how, <laughs> did you, how did you arrive at that, that, that cycle of falling down, getting back up, um, overcoming fears? F- for you, in your experience, what was a, an influential person or situation or piece of resource that allowed you to have the courage and the bravery to do that? So for the last um, years, I think it started in 2015, I had a mental coach and he helped me like really a lot. And I'm, yeah, I'm convinced that I wouldn't be here right now when I would have not had him. So I'm really happy to that he was with me and that he um, yeah, helped me in all these situations. And of course, before I worked with him, um, yeah, I think it was most of the things that I experienced myself. Um, like I started at the age of six, so it was um, for me, it feels like at the point I um, started to think as a child. And I had this, um, I don't know if the word is consciousness, but um, yeah, when I started to have this, then yeah, you experience how to, how to think or which is harmful or which is good for you. And so I think it just went along the process of learning new tricks, going to training. It generally forms your personality when you do forward from this age on yeah i found that so fascinating because as a child we are so imaginative and we don't have the barriers that if you were a young adult onwards would have so the self-belief is probably like yeah i can fly i can do anything yes (laughs) right yeah i also felt that with the age um i i get more um I had more fear in doing tra- new tricks. Like when I was a child, I didn't have so much fear in doing new tricks because it was like, yeah, what can happen? But um, now at that age, it, it was more like, okay, when I now injure myself, it takes one year to get back on a bike again. And what can I all lose in this one year when I don't compete? And so I think when you're a, are a child, you don't think about that much. And so... Yeah, it comes also through getting older, that you have more fear and more thoughts. I think I spent like two hours watching all your videos and clips and they're, they're <laughs> up and, and some of your other content. They're just so, like, you're so composed and you're very calm from my point of view, observing your videos. And you, we're talking about fear right now. So what's your relationship with fear now? It, on or off the bike? Yeah, I have. Um, there's also another trick I 
this was the trick which was the most um, difficult one for me, in especially for me, because the trick itself is not that difficult than it seems. You're on this trick, you're standing on the saddle while the bike is riding, and then you jump to the handlebars. And the bike is still riding. You, you jump from the saddle to the handlebar, and then you stand on the handlebar, and then you ride. So are you saying you're, you're, you're standing on the seat, the saddle, Yes. seat yeah and you're and the bikes in motion and you're yeah. jumping and you jump. from the seat saddle onto yeah. the handlebars yeah have you done that <laughs> that's in, that's yeah i yes wow. i've done that um like the trick itself is not that difficult than it now seems to be but i had like really really much in yeah mental problems with this and um, then I was, I had my mental coach, I started to work with him and we tried many, many different things before. And then I worked with my mental coach and then I finally mastered it to, to do the jump. But of course, with safety arrangements, I had a safety rope so that nothing can happen. And then I did it. I always do a, a count how many I do in the training. And I did around 1,200. And then I decided to do it without a safety rope. Because when you want to do it in a competition, you, of course, have to be able to do it without the safety rope. Because in competition, you don't have safety arrangements. And yeah, I did the trick one time. And I, I failed. I didn't um, master it to stand on the handlebar. But nothing happened. Then I tried it one more time. It also didn't work. And the third time I was like, okay, now this time I, I really want to master it and I will get it. Yeah, I did the third jump without the safety uh, rope and then I injured myself. Oh. I broke my foot. And um, yeah, I it took me three months to, to heal the, the, the bone and things like that and to get on the bike again. And then it was, okay, I want to do this jump again um, because I needed to do in competition to get to my, to my goal, to reach my goal. And then I started to train it again and I had a lot of fear. I, of course, did it first with the safety rope, but, um, and then I wanted to do 3,000 more jumps un until I will do it without the safety rope again. So I did the 3,000 jumps. And then I was at the point that I said, okay, I'm really safe with this trick and it really works when I do it with the safety rope. Now it's time to do it without the safety rope. But there was so much fear in me that for me it was associated that when I do it without the safety rope that I will definitely injure myself again. This was in my mind. Like it was so so fixed in, in my mind that if if I do that, it will happen this. And so this was a huge process for me to do it without the safety rope. And I had a lot of talks with my mental coach and um, yeah, so, so many things. And then finally, it took me some time to do it without the safety rope. But first I ch just jumped over the handlebar and then yeah, it was a process to always go a little nearer to the handlebar. And then finally, it, I mastered it and I stood on the handlebar and I was 
jumping down then and I started to cry because it was such a big thing for me to overcome this fear and to do it without the safety rope and to do it and to master it, to finally master it. And yeah, I, I'm getting goosebumps <laughs> while telling this. And yeah, I also was able to do it at the competitions in 2019 and I also did it at the final of the world championship. And this is also a thing I'm really, really proud of that I overcame this fear of this trick. And right now, how I handle this fear is that I accept that I have this fear um, because the fear is always present. Like it's always in your mind and it's not possible to, to do it away, to say like, no, I will think of something else that doesn't work. For me, the thing that worked was to accept the fear that I have. It was like, okay, Viola, you have this fear of injuring yourself again. Is this fear realistic? I was, yes, but also maybe not <laughs> because I did 3,000 jumps on the safety rope and it really works. So, of course, there's always this little risk of injuring yourself, but um, I accepted this fear and I said, okay, I have this fear, but I will do this jump now with this fear together. And this is my way also in other tricks or in like other life situations that I say I have this fear and it's okay and it's, it's part of my personality that I have this fear, but I can do it with it and I will master it. Yeah, that's so good. <laughs> you, you um, what you what you've just shared, I hope touches the hearts and minds of the listeners because. There's, there was an important bit in there, which was that um, it's not the bit that you, you, you fell. It's, it's the fact that you got up and when you fell, you had done what you thought was enough to, to try to attempt without the, the safety uh, component. You did 1,000 plus practicing, 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 and then you tried to do the, the, the trick without the safety and and weren't able to achieve it. And then not only did you fall, but you injured yourself. You actually ended up trying 3000 times before you did the attempt at a competition. Uh, it all goes back to, um, how, how much do you want this? And is this, is this something that is, uh, something that you have to embrace? So you've spoken about embracing your fears, but also embracing, do, do, uh, do I need to do this thing for me and for my goals? And is this something that I can't avoid? Or, or can I lean in with the fear and do it anyway? Um, and people can apply that to so many different things in their life. And for me, I'm, I'm just, I'm so touched by that. I'm inspired by that story because we're talking about thousands here, not hundreds. Hundreds, yes. <laughs> hundreds is already a lot for, for most people. You know, even when it's something like when I share about getting a design job, I say, I share in my events and listeners know this as I, I sent 300 emails in the first week and only got maybe 2% back from that, a response. And then only maybe one or two actually considered me for, for coming in for an interview type of thing. And 
this is where we are, right? It's, uh, and I love the fact that I can interview you at your level, people who I interview at, at this expert level in their field, because it shows the reality. People might see so many great videos of you and they do. And they see this calm, collected, confident woman who's also going after her you know, education goals as well. But we need to hear the story. We need to hear about the times that you fell. And so a little about that, uh, you mentioned that you have safety before you attempt a trick. So with these difficult tricks of higher difficulty, how do you practice uh, with with implementing risk mitigation when you practice? Is it like gymnastics in a way where you have to really be tied to a harness and rope? Is that what you have to make sure? I don't want people to like think that they can attempt things, whether it's in sport or otherwise. I like this idea that you're testing first slowly with a bit of safety. And when you feel ready, you can go for the, for the big thing. Is that something that you advocate? Make sure that you're, you're practicing with as many safety precautions as possible um, before tricks? I think um, when you do a trick uh, first without safety, then the risk to injure yourself is really, really high. And then you lose time because, yeah, every injury takes time. And so I think it would be... Um, yeah, it, it's necessary to do things first for safety and to do like do little steps, little processing. I, I'm not going on the bike and saying, okay, to do, I want to do a handstand on the bike. I first ha have to learn the handstand on the ground. And I first have to learn how to stand. And then I have, have to learn how to, to press the handstand up. And only when I'm really, um, when I feel really good with this on doing on the ground, then I can start to do it on the bike. And so it's with, I think, with everything in life, so that you first do little steps and do step by step and, and ch every, check every step if you're now good with this part and then do the next one. And don't want to do everything at the same moment because then it won't, yeah, it won't work. That's such an important lesson. Crawl before you can walk, right? Yes, definitely. Super important. So... What does a regular week of training look like to you, Viola, from physical training, nutrition, mental strength? You said you had a coach there as well. Tell us a bit about this disciplined week of yours. <laughs> well, I, um, the last years, I always had a university in the afternoon. So I started in the morning to do a little handstand training, like do these handstands on the ground that I feel safe with it. And you, even if you're able to do the handstand on the bike, you still have to do training on the ground to maintain your strength and or even to improve your strength because the better it is on the ground, of course, the better it is on the bike. So that's what I did first of the day. And then, um, yeah, I started to repeat the things I had in university from the day before so that I always keep studying so that it's not when I have an exam that I'm like the two weeks before like really stressful and have to learn everything. Um, I like more to oh, like do a little bit every day 
and um, yes, that you that you are aware of what you did in university the last day. And um, yeah, then I went to to university in the afternoon, and after this, I went to bike training. And um, yeah, about my nutrition, I take care of having um, not too much color, calories so that I stay in shape. But of course, it's also really important to um, to check your protein intake because in my case, I'm a vegetarian and so I need to check that I have enough proteins. And um, yeah, that's these are like the main things I have in my diet so that I check my calories and that I check my protein intake. And, and of course, also to eat fresh and yeah, vegetables and fruits and things like that. So, yeah, but the calories and protein is the most important for me. <laughs> yeah, and I think, um, and I just wanted to know a bit about that because as part of the internal, you know, uh, self-talk and, and, you know, the fear, overcoming fear and all that, there's also the, the, the physicality of being able to make sure that if this is this body that we're in is the tool to deliver in your case, the, the artistic cycling, the, the performance, the, the whole sport, um, there's got to be a high level of training. So when it comes to the tricks that you do, I'm noticing that there's so much core strength. There's so much core strength. And then now you've told me that you're training tricks like thousands of times. So what's, what's fueling you? So you've answered that the, the protein and the, and, but managing your calories. And then you've spoken about you're, you're actually a vegetarian. So that's, that's interesting. I think people would, would be fascinated to know about that. But when you're doing exercises, you mentioned, um, handstands, how are you, well, A, what do you think is the most area that you need to make sure that if for anyone that wants to even consider doing this sport, what's the muscle group or the area of physical strength? Because we see different body types, right? Like a marathon runner versus a 100-meter sprinter. Totally different body types, totally different muscle mass, totally different endurance capacity. So for you, what is the thing that needs to be foundationally strong um well i think that it's not necessary to go to artistic cycling and to have like a good strength in your legs or something like that i think when you train in artistic cycling you train the muscle groups you need to have for artistic cycling so it's not necessary to train something before you go um into artistic cycling and um I think that artistic cycling is a sport that requires the whole body because we have um, a lot of is the, the legs. You, ha you have to have a good strength in because it's cycling. <laughs> and for cycling, you need the strength in, in your legs. But of course, it's, it's not only cycling, but it's also gymnastics. And for gymnastics, you need to have strength in your arms and shoulders and back. And um, for the handstands or just to to grab your bike and to, to be able to, to hold it in the right position, you need to. But of course, also for the handstand and for um, tricks, I, for example, lift my legs and just um, hold my legs up and hold them just with my arms. I also need the core strength. So, yeah, <laughs> I think in... 
artistic cycling, you need all the parts of your body. Also the, the wrists and the hands and for doing the handstand and to do the things where you have to to put up your own body weight. So yeah, everything. <laughs> but also of course the feet, the feet and the, the <laughs> literally angles. every body part, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because to, to jump down, you often jump down from the bike, um, especially in the in the beginning when you learn tricks um, new, then you have to jump down uh, many times. So then you also need to have uh, an angle and a foot that yeah has a lot of strength so that you not injure yourself. But these things all come through training and artistic cycling. So I would never go to the gym and just train my feet. So yeah, it comes all through the training. In terms of gym, so let's call it like resistance training, for in particular weights training, are you then training five days a week, six days a week for all the muscle groups that you've just mentioned? No, I, I never train um, these muscle groups in, yeah, um, I don't. I missed the word for it in English. Um, I, I don't. I don't train them separately. I train them like all together when I'm on my bike. I train them, um, yeah, along the side. I train the tricks. Got it. It's through this the 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 use of the bike that you are firing yep. up yeah. all these muscle groups you're activating them so let's talk about this bike for me because i'm curious your bike looks very different to a lot of other bikes that people ride um day to day let's call it um is it a special bike made for your sport yes it's a special bike made for artistic cycling um it's a fixie bike so that means you can go forward but also backward the ratio um, of this fixie bike is one to one, and yeah, of course, the the things like the handlebar and the seat, the saddle, they look a little bit different from normal bikes, and that makes it easier to stand on the saddle or the handlebar, and yeah, and of course, it has different tires, and we have we have a lot of pressure in these tires. I have um, 14 bar in one tire um, compared, for example, with the tire of the car. In a car, we have two to three bar. And in our bikes, we have 14. So it's a lot of pressure that we have on the tires and that makes it easier to maintain in the spin. It looks pretty light. Like it's not a heavy bike, is it? It's heavy. It's heavy. It is. Yeah, it has. Goodness mm-hmm, me. It is. Many, many people think that it's really light, but it's not. <laughs> it's, oh, my I, God. I don't, I don't know the exact weight, but it's definitely over 10 kilograms. I mean, I'm not surprised. You would just be lifting lifting that like, like nothing because you're so strong. Um, so maybe that's why it comes across like that. But it makes sense that it has to have a, a fair amount of weight because yeah. you actually need that to perform the tricks, right? You need some stability there in the frame. Um, how about your footwear? I notice you wear these sock-like shoes that are white, but then up, upon closer inspection, they're not socks. Obviously, they cannot be socks. No. There's no there's no grip in socks, but they are super tight, special shoes. Is that what everyone wears as well in your sport? Yeah, in my sport, everyone wears these shoes, but most of the people wear them in black. So I'm like one of the few who wear white shoes. <laughs> 
<laughs> so that is also something that um, makes me unique in this sport that I'm wearing a different color of shoes. Um, yeah, but these are not especially made for artistic sizing. These are just like normal gymnast shoes. So they are tight but have a have grip on the sole. So yeah, that's nothing special. Yeah, I think all these details are, are super important um, when it comes to using the right tools to achieve what you want to achieve. Um, and obviously, um, they're, they're, yeah, I think people just have to see it for themselves. Um, now, when it comes to your sport, I, I would kind of describe it as it's a mix of having elegance with the performance, but then there's also this these moments of like stunt-like entertainment so how do you design your performance or routine um, in competition? Uh, and do you, how much does the creative process feed into designing your performance? So my routine for the competition is we have a, like, it's like a book or a, like a book where we have the rules in artistic cycling in. In German, we, we saw, we say, um, reglement. I don't know if this word exists in the English language, but um, yeah, we have a book where we have all the, the tricks written down with the score every trick gets. Because the more difficult a, a trick is, the more points it gets. And this is also the system we have at the competition. And so I, I of course, only train these tricks that get many points. And then um, when I mastered to do these tricks, um, of course, it doesn't make sense if I do, for example, a trick where I'm riding forward, then I do a trick riding backward and then doing a trick riding forward again. So that doesn't make sense. So that's how I, um, how I create my routine, that it's not that much changing in going forward, going backward, turn. So it's more like, all the tricks I go forward, I do in a row, and then I do all the tricks I go backward. So that's basically the idea of doing the routine. And for the performances, it's more or less the same because when I have to get over the bike, like after every trick, then it doesn't make sense. It's then it's not that fluent the performance. So I decide to do similar tricks where I'm on a similar part of the bike I do in a row. It's a good, it's a good approach. Makes sense. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> and what would be the most difficult trick in that book book that they <laughs> score you on? <laughs> um, yeah, the most difficult trick is the handstand going out. Yeah. Going out of the L shape because you can press the handstand when you're on the handlebar, you can, you have your feet also on the handlebar then you press it up. But it gets more points if you have your legs in an in an L shape, and then press the legs up to go to the handstand. Oh my gosh! So have you done that? Um, yeah, I have done that. Yes, oh and then you can also. It's a different if you do the handstand in a normal circle or if you do it in an eight. And when you go up out of this L shape and do it in the eight, the handstand, then that's the the trick with uh, that gets most of the points. 
Is that trick, that hardest trick that you just described, is that available for us to watch that you've done? Yeah, I think that's the, the most difficult trick because it took, yeah, like unbelievable much time to learn all these um, things, like not only doing the handstand, but also to go out of the L shape. And yeah, I was able to do this um, in my competition career. So I did, I also did this at the World Championship last year. Where can we watch that trick? Um, I think there must be a YouTube video of my um, yeah, competition um, performance on YouTube. Yeah, somewhere like that. Just type in my name, Viola Brand, and then maybe you'll find it. But, but I do, I'm not doing the whole eight, I'm doing an S. So it's like the half eight. Wow. But it takes less time um, to do only the half eight, but do the whole eight. So, Amazing. To be honest, yeah. e even if you didn't say that, I probably wouldn't even know the difference. <laughs> I would probably <laughs> just be so impressed. Um, so I'll try to find the video and I'll link it onto this post when this episode goes live. Uh, a few more questions for you, Viola. A uh, question I ask all my guests, if you could travel back in time for 30 seconds and speak to junior Viola, uh, perhaps the young girl finishing high school, what would you tell her? I think I would not do anything um, in another way than I just did. So I think I would say nothing to her. <laughs> <laughs> she just keeps in what she does and that this is the right way. Beautiful. Wow. It's it. Yeah. Okay. You. I love the fact that you really do give a hundred plus percent. Maybe maybe I would say to her, don't do this, don't do this third jump because you will injure yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Fair point. Good good one. Do, do some do some thousand jumps more before you do it without the same the rope. That that's something I would say to her. That's yes. right. Because it sounds like you've not injured yourself a great deal, apart from that. You've yeah, had, I only yeah. Did, yeah. I was I was really lucky in my career. I only injured myself that one time. So Amazing. like a hard, like a severe injury. Yeah. So Viola, who has been an impactful giant thinker in your life? That person who has inspired you to think bigger and dig deeper in helping you reach your full potential. So um, I think one of the most um, important persons in my life is my mom, because my mom is also my coach. Now she's oh, and, is that right? Um, yeah, she was there from like the first day I did artistic cycling on and she was always by my side and went always with me to training and to training camps and to competitions like no matter where the competitions were like for example we went to the world championship to Malai, Malaysia um, or Hong Kong or parts like really far parts of the world and she was always with me and so she's yeah, really one of the most important persons in my life or also in my um, competitive life. But then, of course, also my mentor coach. Um, he teached me a lot of ways to handle my fear and to control my thoughts. And so, yeah, I'm really happy to have these both persons in my life. So what's next for you, Viola? Uh, with everything you're involved in, uh for this year, 2020 and beyond? Well, I have a lot of requests for shows. 
um, I will do in the next month. And I'm really happy about this, that it can show my tricks and the, the beauty of artistic cycling to the world. I'm really happy to have this chance and to have that many requests to shows. Um, so that is one big part I will do in the, the year and also, of course, I hope the next years. <laughs> and then I will also proceed with my university. I'm, I want to start to write my master thesis now. And so, yeah, that's the plan for the year. Ah, fantastic. Um, yes, it is such a brilliant thing to watch. So I'm glad that you're doing more shows. How can listeners get in touch with you online? I have uh, Facebook, but the main thing is Instagram. And my name on Instagram and Facebook is both the same. It's Viola Loves Cycling. And so through this, you can reach me and there you find all the other information. For the listeners, that's exactly how I got in touch with Viola. I don't know how she managed to reply back to me because she has 365,000 followers right now and she only created the account in 2017, I read. And uh, she posted recently, uh, Viola, you said something on your Instagram stories uh, the other day, yesterday, I think it was, about you was apologizing to people for not getting back to them straight away because you had received over 600 messages in like the last couple days. Um, wow. You're incredible with what you do. You're well-mannered. You're so um, tenacious. Yet when we watch you, you're so graceful. <laughs> um, it's a, You're an incredibly uh, wonderful person to, to watch. And I'm so grateful to have interviewed you. Um, Viola, Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Is there anything you want to add or a message you want to say to, to those listeners um, that comes to mind before we close off the show? Oh, I think I have already said everything that is important for me to that the people know about me. Um, but yeah, thank you very much for having me. Thanks for all your kind words. And yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be part of the podcast. Brilliant. Viola Brand, everyone. Thank you so much. Appreciate you. Giants, thank you for sticking with me here on this episode with the extraordinary Viola brand, especially while you had to put up with that horrible on-off static that appeared in moments. I was not pleased with that at all, but have now rectified it, so I'll ensure it's the first and last time that will happen. Please accept my apologies once again. Feel free to say hello to Viola on Instagram. Her handle, as mentioned, is Viola Loves Cycling. I'm sure she'd really appreciate the greeting and is quite responsive despite her growing audience. Now, if you are enjoying this podcast and if you feel it deserves an iTunes review, it would be such an incredible gift to receive from you because it increases the likelihood of others discovering the show and certainly helps me keep it going. Just head to giantthinkers.com slash podcast review or click the hyperlink in this post. A little teaser for our next guest. He is at the forefront of making coaching an everyday leadership behavior. He's the author of The Coaching Habit, the best-selling coaching book of this century with over 700,000 copies sold and over 1,000 five-star reviews on Amazon. 
His new book, The Advice Trap, focuses on what it takes to stay curious a little bit longer and tame your advice monster. In 2019, he was named the number one thought leader in coaching and was shortlisted for the coaching prize by Thinkers50, the Oscars of management. He is also the founder of Box of Crayons, a learning and development company that helps organizations transform from advice-driven to curiosity-led. It's a cracker and I cannot wait to share it with you. Now, for any questions regarding the podcast or anything at all, the best way to reach me is on Instagram. Send me a message via my handle, the giant thinker, and or add me on LinkedIn. Just search my name, Ram Castillo. Lastly, I'll leave you with a quote that I loved from Viola, who said, how I handle fear in tricks and life is I accept the fear. It's always present and that's okay. I'll do this jump with fear together. I can do it with it and master it.